So in Acts 16, And when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was suffered to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. And it came to pass that after three days Paul called the chief of the Jews together, and when they were come together, he said unto them, Men and brethren, though I have committed nothing against the people or customs of our fathers, yet was I delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, would have let me go, because there was no cause of death in me. But when the Jews spake against it, I was constrained to appeal unto Caesar. Not that I had ought to accuse my nation of. For this cause, therefore, have I called for you to see you and to speak with you, because that for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. And they said unto him, We neither received letters out of Judea concerning thee, neither any of the brethren that came showed or spake any harm of thee. But we desire to hear of thee what thou thinkest, for as concerning this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. And when they appointed him a day, there came many to him into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets, from morning till evening. And some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed after that Paul had spoken one word, well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers, saying, Go unto this people, and say, Hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. For the heart of this people is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Here we see that Christ had directed Paul. Paul had, had been on the Isle of... Anybody remember the Isle that he was, that, that he was exiled? Well, not exiled, but they, they had the shipwreck. What was the name of the Isle? Malta, right. What was the other name? It's good to remember. It was the uh, island of Malta, and you had the island of, it was Melita. And so there, here Paul is basically a criminal, and he's under guard, under Julius the Centurion, and basically what happens is 276 people get shipwrecked on this island. Paul takes over. He goes, he goes up to this pile of sticks. He helps take the sticks and make the fire. When the people were freezing cold, they were wet, they were around, they were being fed. The natives were kind to them when the natives could have been very lethal to them. They took care of them. Paul puts sticks. One of the sticks starts to move, grabs onto his arm as we've been going for several weeks, and basically the people say, this man is a murderer. He gets what he deserves. They think that he's going to swell up. They think he's going to die. Then the, the, the snake just falls off of him. Nothing happens to him. And they declare him a god. And so as a god, he stands there and he heals them. And they have this rare disease. And he's healing them one after the other. And so after that happens, they're there for several weeks, perhaps several months, because they're waiting for the horrible tempests and the horrible waves and all to be able to, to, to subside. As Christ said in the, in, in, the, in the boat, in the great tempest, peace be still and the waters calmed. They were waiting for the waters to calm, and Paul had told them to be very careful. So now we move forward, we see that these trials and these difficulties 
that maybe just and discouragement that Paul may have met, it never hindered him from going forward. And that is a very good lesson for us in our Christian lives, that we are not to be hindered to go forward. That no matter what happens, we are to maintain that testimony. And everything imaginable could have, that could have happened to Paul at this point has happened, and he's not even finished yet. I mean, Paul is here. He could have probably gotten out of this by going to Jerusalem, as Agrippa said. But he says, it must needs that I go to Caesar. I am going to plead my case. I am a Roman citizen. I'm going to plead my case. And I'm going to Rome. But why? The Lord had told him, you're going to Rome. And so this morning, the question is, we went over this last week, had he written the epistles to the Roman jet? Yes, he has. And many of them have this. They have, they have some, kind of, some, some kind of translation of it. And we know that because as they leave, they get on the ship, back on the coastal ship, and they go up to Pertioli, I think that's what it was called, and they go up to the co Regium, the coast of Italy. All these people, these Christians, come out of nowhere, and they come up to see him. So with that being said, it's, it's incredible, as Christians... When we, go, when we go abroad, have you ever gone abroad anywhere? Or maybe it's even to a store, or maybe it's out of town, and you've met other Christian brothers and sisters. Anyone have any good stories? Lisey. Right. Amen. It's a common bond, and you have a lot to talk about. It's amazing when you get into talking about Scripture. Anyone else? I think it's a good question. Elder McCoy, you went to Egypt. Did you trip into anybody? Wow. Wow. They can be expensive. I mean, to have them be given and be able to hand them out, that's, that's a great blessing. But you, can, you, you meet people, you see people, and then you talk to them. I, I've been telling you about Brother James, Getz. He's been to the church. He visited us, and he wants to come again. He is coming soon. I went into Safeway the other day. Totally forgot he was there. It was one of those days I was really busy. It was like Tuesday or Wednesday morning. I think it was Wednesday morning. 
because we were, he was giving me some prayer requests. Well, I walk in, I go in, and I had to pick a few things up. Lisa was with me, <clears throat> and I drove her down. So she stayed in the car. She wasn't feeling too good. We come out, and there's, I'm walking up to the register. I'm not thinking, there's Brother James in front of me. And I always call him Moses because he has this long white beard now. I said, Moses! He turns around, and this is, this is Brother James. This is not a dramatization. This is him in the middle of the grocery store. Dear brother, praise the Lord. Believe in the Lord Jesus. He gives verses openly in his place and preaches to people. I heard him preaching. He's standing up there earlier. I'd heard his voice. Then he comes walking in front of me when he was relieved. And he's standing up there preaching, saying to all the praise the Lord, bless him. He loves the Lord. So he, he comes up, he talks to me. He goes, brother, I need you to pray for uh, his brother just had eye surgery. And he gave me the list. And we're standing there talking, and this young fella comes up, heavy set young fella, big guy, looks like a football player. He's over there stocking the shelves. And he goes out of nowhere, hey, Brother Tim, I want to meet you. I want to introduce you to Brother Lamar. He loves Jesus. <laughs> There's all these people standing around. He loves Jesus. And Brother Lamar comes over, and we start, he, and, and Brother James starts quoting verses. Lamar is quoting verses. And he just, and the man, he just beams. And we talk about the Lord. You see that? Paul, everywhere he went, this happened to him. And if he didn't happen out of nowhere, he turned people into, he, he turned people into believing in Jesus. Of course, of course, Christ saved them. He didn't save them. But he brought them to the gospel. And it, like it says here, some believed. And he, everywhere he went, he had people that loved him. And I, I just think that's incredible. I mean, he, he's going all over the, basically all over, over Middle Asia. He's going to Italy and Rome and Europe. And everywhere he goes, there's somebody there that knows him all throughout these scriptures. But we see here last week that Paul, one of the things, his, his incredible, incredible, uh, uh, just, just this, this, this ball of integrity he had about himself. All over. He had discipline. And he knew what he had to do. And when he had to do it, he did it. And the discipline was he would always preach the gospel. And we were studying discipline. We have been studying, in, in, on Wednesday night, we've been studying in the book of Proverbs. And it's extremely important in the life of a Christian to, to embrace discipline. It requires action. It requires, many times, delayed gratification. It requires doing things, and, you know, I believe that, that Elder, uh, Brother Keith McCoy and myself, we know all too well. That, that in, and we've seen it in the churches and on around Presbytery. You know, a lot of work you do for the Lord, it's very thankless work. And you don't expect to be thanked. That's just the way it is, and that's the way Paul was. It's, it's, it's a matter of discipline, and we do that because we love the Lord. As we, and we see, we read a couple of verses last week, but I would like to read these verses here and, and, and looking at basically that the Lord loves who He chastens and He disciplines us because He loves us. Could somebody look up Hebrews chapter 12 and read verses 5 through 11? Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. It's incredible the discipline that Paul has. And the Lord, he disciplines us. We need to have discipline, but what we don't, and we don't obey him, he disciplines up. And who the Lord loves us, he, he lifts up, he encourages. Who has this? Hebrews 12. Thank you.
Amen. Thank you. We see that when Paul talks about this, he actually, we're going to be looking at some of his words this morning in Romans because of that epistle that he wrote. And he's going to Rome, and I think it would be kind of like, uh, not, not, I don't think it would be, you know, very, uh, I mean, very studious of us not to at least bring that up and talk about some of it. I mean, the book of Romans, and we could spend years on that, of course. But Paul here talks a lot about in the book of Romans about discipline, chapter 12. And we're going to look at that a little bit. And, and he, he talks about loving not evil, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. That's a very, very good statement. And here he is teaching by design and by his own actions, discipline. So basically, they have weathered the storm, they've gone to Rome, and we see that they've made it through. They got it towards Syracuse and Sicily, they went through Regium, up in Messina, they went to the five taverns as we looked at. And basically, that was where they came into basically near uh, Messina was in Naples near Pompeii, which was actually Rome's main port and the most important one in Italy, where Podioli was also the main port for the Egyptian grain fleet. And we see that they were on a coastal ship delivering these goods, delivering this grain. And that's the kind of ship that they were. It was certainly no ocean liner. And the Christians there, they greet Paul. And it's once again, the Lord never failed to provide fellowship for his people. So then after the seven days, they fellowship. They headed up to Appii near the Appian Way, which is 50 miles from Rome. And then they heard that others had heard Paul. It's probable to notice that, we, that there was, we know that other believers were sent. And the message was sent all the way from Puteoli because there were people that knew Paul there. They had known, they had had... They had had some kind of understanding of some of his writings of Romans. They were already out there. And basically, he goes, and the question is, what would Paul have written? What had he been speaking about? And I think that's very important for us to look. And I'd like to go, I'd like to go right now to Romans chapter 12. Could somebody read verses 1 through 9? Romans 12, 1 through 9 brings a lot of this together. Gifts differing according to the grace that is given to 
whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait for our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that willeth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Amen. This brings it together. And what's fascinating to look at Romans, we see that he had not been to Rome yet when Paul, if you study, he, when he made his treatise to the Romans, he had not been to Rome yet, so it's already been written. He was writing to the laity of the church. He was writing to the diaspora. What was the diaspora? Anybody remember? Amen. A lot of them had lost their way. They had lost their identity as the, actually what tribe that they were from. You know, many Jews today, you talk to them, you really ask them, well, what, what, what of the 12 tribes are you from? I have no idea. Paul knew that he was from the tribe of Benjamin. He knew. And that, that was fascinating. And so when Paul writes the, the book of Romans, the first 11 chapters just, just overflow with knowledge about justification of faith, alone in Jesus Christ. He's telling the Jews, he's warning them, he's showing them how wicked they are. And then, he, the reason that I bring this up, even though this may not be come up actually in these verses, the exact words that he said in Romans 12, I'm building a case because he does go into the Old Testament here in a few minutes. And he tells them something that is extremely courageous, and he tells them something that really would infuriate the Jews, but he would not hold back. But what he had said, basically, he was talking to the laity of the church, the dispersed. He unfolds his teachings, the doctrines of justification, sanctification, faith, and God's grace, that our salvation is not by works. He's saying... God, the gospel is for the justification of all men through faith alone. That Abraham was justified by faith. You know the, the Reformation, the term we know, sola fide. Not justified by the law, but by God's grace alone. Christ came to fulfill that law. He's the one that would, he did not abrogate the law. He did not take the law and eradicate it. He enhanced it. He fulfilled it. As today we have a lot of these new gospel theology churches today that say the Old Testament is nothing but a relic. We're in the New Testament now under the New Covenant. We have nothing to do with that anymore. It's not true. That's not at all what Jesus said. We can see that Paul's writings here, even he goes back to Isaiah. Isaiah was the most quoted prophet in the New Testament. And, and, and so he goes, and he will, we'll see that in a little while. He says, we must not live in sin. We must not let sin reign over us. And Paul shows sorrow in his writing to the Romans who had turned away. He calls out to the Gentiles and his job is also to bring them in and to give them the gospel. And when he writes the Roman book of Romans, he laments over the lost Jews. And he prays for the disobedient Israelites. Is it any different today? Look what's going on. We're praying, for, we're praying for the, the repentance of America. We're praying for the repentance of Israel. Israel, like America now, has a full gay pride month. There are a lot of wicked things that are going on over there. And we're praying that they repent. We're praying that, they, that the gospel is given, that, the, that we're sending out missionaries, that they hear the gospel, that they repent and they turn to the Lord. And the Lord still has mercy upon them. He's, he has incredible mercy upon our nation. 
And Paul had lamented over the lost Jews. He prays for disobedient Israelites. And he preaches salvation open to the Jews and Gentiles. Can someone read Galatians chapter 3.28, please? Bless you. 3.28. What a massive Bible verse. And for all of you here that are partaking in hearing the Word of God today, and you're a Gentile, thank the Lord for this verse that the Jews were reached out to and the Gentiles were reached out to. This is not inclusive. You know, the big, the big words that are out there today are they kind of like fall off of the tree of political correctness. Inclusive, there's all these words. Christianity is not inclusive. We're not on a little reservation and we're not inside of our little buildings and we're here and we're just protecting our own interests and not you know, having anything to do with the whole world out there. I mean, I can, I can say here by the testimony in this church and thank the Lord Elder Keith McCoy's with us this morning, how many people he has reached out to through Bible camps, through youth rallies, through going abroad and, and he supporting his church and working in his church. It starts here and it goes out all over the place. We're not just here... Like many religions and many cults, I mean, I know one, 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 one group that had a Bible study that had a disclaimer on their website that said, only believers are allowed to come to this Bible study. It. That's it. The Bible studies are for unbelievers. Of course they're for believers. But we want people to hear the Word of God. The doors are open. And that's what Paul is saying here. When he's saying in the book of Romans, this is open to the world. It's open to all, as, as Christ says, giving a little bit of the, 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 the Sunday school way and a little bit ahead, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. That was open to all. It wasn't just some inclusive little group of cough with a, a handful of Jews where they sit around and they eat, they have a nice time and they have their own little events like a lot of these, these, these cults do today. But this is open for all. And we see here, neither Jew nor Greek... They're all invited. And this, the first portion of the Romans, it teaches the wisdom of God's divine purposes and His purposes in our lives. And I think we really need to understand that. That's a lovely attribute that Paul carried with him through his ministry. What he had showed in the book of Romans when he wrote the epistle, and he's here in the book of Acts, he's standing in front of those in Rome, he is preaching to them. And he's showing the heart of a pastor and he shows Paul's praise to God. We see in Psalm 77, 19, Thy way is in the sea, and thy path is the great waters, and thy footsteps are not known. Psalm 145, 3 says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. He's now writing to Christians in Rome. He starts, and he's helping them with their churches, and he just makes this transition into verse 11 chapters of Romans to this doctrinal portion to a point of application. And here were the, 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 the verses that Matthew had read. It's like the whole first 11 chapters go into chapter 12 in Romans, and it's like in bullet form, like one after the other, these, these applications given how we're supposed to live in our Christian lives. And that's what he's giving here. He gives these necessary conclusions and basically, we see here 
that he's now once again, as Jesus did, as many of the other apostles did, as Peter did, talking to angry, disbelieving Jews. And he says to them here in these verses, he tells them, I never spoke against my people. I'm not an insurrectionist. I did not put down the Jews. I did not hurt them. I did not murder them. I did not steal from them. And they still wanted to incarcerate me. And what he's saying to them, look at what's happened to me thus far. Six defenses. We are now getting ready to go into chapter 28 into his sixth defense. Six of them. And out of all six defenses, he's never been killed. He's never been eradicated. He alone has withstood the test of time and has gotten through beatings, shipwrecks, uh, uh, an absolute deadly lethal snake hanging off of his arm. He's done all of this and he's made it through all of that and he's standing there right in front of the leaders of the Jews and the Roman consulate and now he's getting ready to tell them something very, very important. Paul goes back to Isaiah and we saw the book of Romans, we spoke about that in one more verse, Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them are called according to his purpose, and verse 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. This is what Paul's telling them. It's not by your works. It's by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, we see the sixth defense coming up here. <clears throat> I'd like for somebody, I would like for somebody to read once again so that, so that we can really, we can, we can look at this and we, can, and we can understand where he goes. Paul, Paul see here in, in verse, he says in verse 24, and some believe the things which were spoken, some believe not. But he says here, can someone read verses 25 and the 27 again? We read it, it's been a while, been a few minutes, but let's read that again. Verses Acts 28, 25 to 27, read that again. What? Thank you, Keith. What are they trying to say? What's Paul trying to say? He's pulling out a very important part of the prophet's message, the oracles of woe, to the Israelites who had completely turned their back on God. What, what did last week Pastor Coleman was talking about? The, basically how Ahaz was offered his son up to Moloch. He literally took his little baby boy, sat it in the little the, the stone arms of Moloch and burned him alive. And that's what they were doing. Solomon had been with women that had worshipped Moloch. And look at what happens here. What does, he, what does he mean? Ears that can't hear, eyes that can't see. Anyone? Yeah. I mean, they could see the gospel. They could hear it preached. But it never went from here to here. 
How many people burn in hell because of her 18 inches? They hear it. I mean, I look, look at some of the signs. I mean, you all drove here. Did you see any goofy signs this morning on the front of churches? I saw two. Anybody? Faith always has good ones. I got a good one this morning. This is a new one. The manger is the first king-sized bed. <laughs> I mean, they've got a sign out there. They've paid thousands of dollars where they can't put a Bible verse on it. And then the other one we have, well, there's three of them. Pet blessings coming up in January. But don't forget, bring your pets to the front yard. Of course, they don't bring them in the sanctuary. You know why? Pet blessings on the front yard. And then there's prayer for solace on Tuesday night. That's it. Teresa. See, that's another good one. We're having Grinchmas. Boy, that's blasphemy. Eyes that can't see, ears that can't hear. You have a full church-looking church that's brick, and it has a steeple on top of it, and they put this stuff on their front sign. Eyes that can't hear. I mean, over this church here, I mean, I, I, on, on, on Sunday afternoon, one down the street here, Sunday afternoon, there was people walking out in costumes for trunk or treat. A guy I, we were talking about a few weeks ago, several weeks ago, a guy dressed like a dinosaur coming out of church with a big rubber tail. I mean, it was, I'm telling you, it was 10 foot long. I mean, it was way out there. He's dressed like a dinosaur. This is what they're doing on Sunday afternoons. They're having trick or treat services. They're, they're celebrating Halloween. I mean, from, from my estimation, when we were kids, we were not allowed to go trick or treating because it was demonic. When we were little kids, we did, and then my parents figured it out, and then they wouldn't let us anymore. Anyway, Paul goes to the chief of the Jews. There he is again. And what, what, what Keith read is he goes back and he takes them to Isaiah. And he tells them, you still can't see. You still can't hear. Don't you get it? You're the ones, Peter had come back and said, you're the ones that crucified Christ. You did it and you still don't see. Here they meet, here, here they're meeting in this very important consul of gathering. The Jewish delegation wanted Paul dead and they, they were there to make sure the Roman government tried Paul and punished him. I find it's fascinating how reserved and how very calm they are when they're standing in front of the Romans. You know what they knew? Paul had the intention of the Romans for the last several events in this journey. Remember Julius Augustus, who in my, in, in, in my expectation or my, my reading, I believe Julius Augustus was saved. I believe he got saved, and I believe that they had worship services on the Isle of Malta. I believe that Paul had gotten to their hearts. What did Agrippa say? Oh, Paul almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. He was listening. And they had his ear. The Romans would not kill him. All they were doing right now is punishing him because of the Jews. And right now, I find it fascinating. I found out that basically what would happen when Paul was taken to Rome, he would have to have a guard, one different guard, every four hours. That means six guards were personally chained to Paul. Every day, the same six guards. Can you imagine being one of those guards chained to Paul the Apostle? Can you imagine Paul saying, oh, by the way, I spoke to Jesus the other day. Oh, you did? Can you imagine what he said to them about the healing? And what, what if the guards were one of them that knew the guards that were over at Malta? I heard you healed all these people over in Malta. 
Oh, yeah, that was by the power of Christ. Everything was Christ. Oh, by the way, I heard you had a snake on your arm. I'm like, yeah, here's the hole. So it didn't do it. How did it not kill you? Christ. And, and, and six different guards, can you imagine the requirements that they have on the day of judgment? Because you know that they all heard the gospel. <laughs> that's, the, that's the last thing that he would, Paul would, ne- one thing he would never do is sit there and banter and not give them the gospel. So you have six different guards, he's chained to them, and he's still preaching. And he still has his friends with him. Dr. Luke's still there, probably Aristarchus is still there. That doesn't happen when you're a criminal. Do you think the Roman Empire will allow a Christian to have friends with them and give them... He actually had his own quarters while he was imprisoned. If he was a murderer and an insurrectionist, how did he get his own quarters? How did he get that? He adjures them. Paul, he instructs them. He says, I have committed no wrongdoing. And in, in these verses, in verses 20, we go to verses 20 up to 20, I think it's 24 here. He says, I have committed no wrongdoing, but was still delivered in the hands of the Romans. In other words, look at the trials and the beatings that I have taken. I have, I have ever, I've been shipwrecked. And, and I've, I've helped the Roman Imperial Navy. He told them, he said, do not, go, do, not, do not take that ship out during these months, in these winter months. And he didn't listen to them. I tried to help them. And because the Lord loves me, he told me, the 276 of you, not a hair on your head would be touched. And when the ship breaks apart, the Lord will give anybody that can't swim, he will give them a piece of the ship, or a piece of wood to float in on, or they can swim on their own, and every one of them will be saved. To this point, has any one of these 276, have we read an account of them being, uh, any of them dying of any disease or, or drowning or anything? Not one of them. And this is a pretty detailed description of what happened here in Acts 27 and 28. He said, there is no cause of death in me. that They, they would have let me go, except I appealed unto Caesar. I have not accused my nation. I have not compromised the integrity or spoken ill of them. He says that even for the hope, the salvation of Israel, I am bound with these chains, and he gives us a window into his objective. He says, I'm here doing this because I love Israel. I love them. And I'm here to bring them back and to give them the gospel and to show them what they have is there is a Messiah. There is a Messiah named Jesus Christ who is their Savior. And they rejected him. And he's begging them not to reject them. So, and he says, I haven't accused my nation. He says that there is hope for the salvation of Israel. I am bound with these chains, bound right now, and these centurions and these different guards. So then the Jewish leaders are all standing around, and they're all saying, we haven't heard these letters. Now, back when he was back in Jerusalem, in Caesarea, they were planning and they had this whole force of people to kill him. But now they're standing in front of the Roman guards. They're being very, very compassionate in front of them. They're, they're being very, very patient and collective here. And so Paul does not, he does not cater to them. He does not cater to their linguistic sensitivities. He goes back to Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. And he calls them out. It's the same thing Jesus did. Can someone look up Isaiah 6, verses 9 and 10, please? We'll finish here, here in a few minutes here.
they do with their eyes, hmm. that they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert and be healed. He says the opening of your eyes comes with conversion. It comes with the healing of your heart. He doesn't leave that in obscurity or some kind of like invisible way. You know what brings me back to the book of Jeremiah? Jeremiah chapter 5. Jeremiah is speaking to the people of Israel. And you know what it is? He gives a warning. And he gives the idol-worshipping Israelites a warning. In chapter 5 verse 3 says, O Lord, are not thine eyes upon the truth? Thou hast stricken them, but they have not grieved. Thou hast consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than a rock. They have refused to return. And then he comes back in verse 21. Hear now this, O foolish people, and without understanding, which have eyes and see not, which have ears and hear not. And those are the people that they have rejected. They've heard the gospel. They've heard what the Lord has told them, and they don't believe it. They reject Him. And isn't that the very simple calling that Jesus has given? He doesn't ask... I don't, I don't believe at all that he's asking too much, and I don't believe salvation is that complicated. He says, believe. It's that simple. Paul is reminding them of the warning. He's reminding of the warning of Jehovah Elohim, and we see that God as Jehovah Elohim is the creator and judge, and he speaks to Ezekiel in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The word of the Lord also came unto me, saying, Son of man, Thou dwellest in the midst of a rebellious house, which have eyes to see and see not. They have ears to hear and hear not, for they are a rebellious house. And remember, remember as we finish up, can someone look up Matthew chapter 11 and read verses 11 through 15? And look, look hard at verse 15 and what Jesus was trying to tell, to tell them because of their blindness. Thank you, Jenny. Do you remember that little conversation? It wasn't so little in Caesarea Philippi when Jesus asked the disciples, Whom do you say I, the Son of Man, am? Remember that? Who did they say that they thought? When they responded, what did they say to him? Yes. They still didn't know. Some say you're Elias. Some say you're the prophet Jeremiah. Some say you're this. Some say you're that. He comes back, the Lord, our, our Savior comes back, and he uses John the Baptist himself as a teaching aid because even Herod himself thought that John the Baptist, he thought that he was the Messiah, and he came back, and he was a little afraid of that. The Lord comes back, and he says, if you, and if you read the beginning of this chapter, and you read through some of the other synoptic gospels, at one point John said, is this the Messiah, or should we look for another and Jesus comes back and says, you tell his disciples that told me this, you tell them that I'm healing. The blind can see, the, 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 the deaf can hear, the, the, the dead are raised. And he tells them, this, this John the Baptist was not me. 
The disciples, I believe at the time, that many disciples thought that, that John the Baptist, when he was there, he was the Messiah. And even Christ came back, and he comes back and he tells them, I'm not John the Baptist. He says he's the greatest prophet that ever lived. And he says that right in these verses. But then he comes back and he says something fascinating. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. In many sermons, many times when the Lord preached, he would say that. He that hath ears, let him hear. What does that mean? I think that's massive. I think that there are a lot of people today that they hear it and they don't even have a clue as to what it is. And the problem is they're not searching it out. This is not something, what we, with, with, with what we have in our souls and what the Lord gives us, we are not supposed to take religion and outsource it to some great big synagogue and let them run with it like many churches do. Our job is to weigh out the people that are teaching us, that are preaching to us. If you're going to know the truth, you've got to get in your houses and you've got to open your Bible up and you've got to read it and study it. And when you do that, the Lord will illumine your heart and your mind and He will show you things that you never thought you could ever even understand. And the problem is, I believe a lot of people don't do that and they're still being led by people that pretend that they're doing it, but they, don't, they too do not have the understanding of Scripture. And if you have that, and the greatest blessings you will ever know that Christ opened and revealed to you that Jesus Christ is Lord, who he says he is. And that's what Paul's trying to convey here. He's trying to warn them, just as the prophet Jeremiah did and Ezekiel did and Isaiah did. He's trying to warn them. You have, you have any idea how close to hell you are? That's what he's saying. Like Jonathan Edwards with that riveting sermon that I love so much given on July 8, 1741, sinners in the hands of an angry God, you're dangling over hell and you don't even know that the little, that little tiny spider web that you're hanging on is about to break. That's how close to hell you are. And everything you ever thought of that you could conjure up to get out of it is never going to work. Peace and safety you thought you had, he says. You thought you had peace and safety. You thought that you were peaceful. And he said... He talks about a man at a young age who thought he could actually work out and be healthy. And he says, and the man died suddenly, and now what? That, that's what Paul's saying here. He's, he, it's a warning. And still, he's being tried, and he's, he's being convicted. Okay, we're going to finish here. Anybody have anything else to say or anything to add? Because we're going to go back into this, and next week, basically, is going to be the epilogue of the book of Acts. We've been there, what now, six years now, so we're kind of getting down to it. Lisa? Amen. That's right. Right. And none of, none of us are perfect at it. We have our good days and our bad days. But we understand it's God's grace. And the Lord draws us to that. 
And, and as Luther said, that the Scriptures have the power of salvation. It has arms and legs. And if you're in it, you're going to see things. It's a wonderful blessing. Well, we'll unless anybody else, we'll finish up here. And I'd like to ask uh, Keith, could you close us this morning? Thank you.